All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Angry Wargamer podcast. I'm uh, just going to shorten it, make it easier for everybody. Um, today, we got myself, Jason, the Angry Wargamer. I have with me Drew, and I also have with me... What's up? All right, so uh, where do we want to start, guys? We got a couple things to go over. Um, yours is a little bit meatier, and I think it'd probably be either a middle or an end piece. So, um, I think we should just kind of catch up at this point on what's been going down. It's been what about a year, year plus since we've recorded. So, doing a little uh catch up at this point because a lot of the prophecies that we had po put out on youtube are it either came true or are coming true at this point and it's kind of weird to look at that <laughs> yeah it was uh super weird when i found out that we were complaining about a mario maker for the switch that hadn't been released or talked about yet and then it showed up not only did it show up but it was one of the best versions that they could have made obviously sans the fact that they have no amiibo support which i think they just cut off because it just wasn't it just wasn't worth the effort to put to code in any of that stuff and at that point they were trying to aim for a whole new group of people to jump in and not everybody has a collection of amiibos like you or myself to be fair i have like seven amiibos i don't yeah. even have a switch i thought you did no no, we couldn't. We couldn't convince him in the time frame. I am, I am so surprisingly old school. I have a modern day, um, mod this generation uh, console only for the Cyberpunk game that's coming out. Well, if they keep kicking that can down the road, you're probably not going to get it. Meh. What happens yeah, they... happens. Yeah, they keep pushing that game, and I really hope they're pushing it to actually finish it and not release 7 million DLC at the end. If it was anyone but CG, CD Projekt Red, I'd be worried. Plus, I think Mike Pondsmith would stab somebody. <laughs> nice. What else have you been up to, Phil, then? If you're not playing video games, what have you been up to? Um, I've been tackling the wide world of trying to run games over Discord. Um, which is kind of annoying because I've had, like, I had a year-long campaign that I was running D&D uh, &D 5th Ed for my family, which had, like, my little cousin and one of my uncles, and it was, like, a game that had a range between, like, I think the youngest person playing was 8 and the oldest person was in their 50s. Damn. Damn, that was a pretty large range. It was amazing. And uh, both incredibly challenging and rewarding. So, uh, we should, I, I guess, I should say when we're recording this, it's what September, uh, uh, third, September 12th. 12th. Yep, September 12th, 2020, in the meat of the COVID. And to those of you out there who are survivors of the robot holocaust, how's it going? To those who are left, we are your new station. No. <laughs> I always wanted to be a rebel radio station in the middle of a of a demilitarized apocalypse, but oh well. I always wanted to not be in an apocalypse, but here we are. Well, you're not on the <laughs> West Coast, so you could be fine. Yeah, at least we're not breathing in fucking 
what are, what are they at like 98% like bad breathing right now and then like their temperatures are up to like to 126 degrees yeah, yeah. maybe we shouldn't be living there as people maybe <laughs> well, maybe it, nature is saying was... something it was fine until someone decided to do a gender reveal, which fucking relit every fucking forest in California. Yeah, but like you have to plan for human stupidity. Well, as well as you can. I mean, yeah, there was a few articles I was reading, too, that said that they were having a harder time putting out these forest fires now because the firefighters that they had that were putting out the fires last year were actually uh, ex-cons, or no, were actually actually prison, like prison people, like people in prison that they all let out. So they no longer have a free slave, uh, you know, slave labor to put out fires. God, can you imagine, like, how bullshit that must feel? Like, getting busted on a stupid drug charge or something that you know, down the road won't be a thing, and then, like, being forced to fight fires. Not just any fires, but, like, fires you cannot put out by normal means, and you literally have to contain. Like, you literally have to put your life in danger because they're like, no, we need some extra people. Here's a fire extinguisher. Go out there. Yeah, it's like, don't they normally train smoke jumpers for this? Nah, you'll be fine. Conscripts work historically. Well, right. dude, they, they, they've been doing that kind of shit since forever, as far as I've known. When I was uh, living out in Macomb, Illinois, when my wife was going to going to college out there, there was uh, an individual who got caught for a DUI who was working at the fast food place I was working at, and they gave him the option. I didn't realize this was still a thing at that at, during the early 2000s, but they're like, you can go to jail or you can go and uh, serve your country. And he took the, he took the ladder. Yeah, that's still an option to this day, as far as I know. Are you like go to the military, like for? Yeah. Yep. Like, I remember listening to an interview that they did on a on a naval ship and about some of the problems with that. And one of the guys they interviewed had been working there because he had like a like not huge felony uh, charge, and they're like, "Well, you can either do time or we sign you up for a four year stint in the navy." And like the guy's like, I kind of wish I'd gone to jail because it's flipping boring here. Jesus, that's ridiculous. I didn't even know they could do that. I know. Yeah. I mean, the other the other form is um, what community service. Same thing. Oh. They they disguise it, and then they you're just basically free labor. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be crazy if that was the thing keeping this flipping country afloat? Is just like the the renamed slave labor that we have. No, I know. And it, they disguise it as like, you need to, or we're, we're, we're going to rehabilitate you and we're going to do this for you. And you're going to come out and be a model citizen. Uh, prediction. Uh, Amazon's going to have a work release program by the, probably by next year. Oh my God. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> like entire, entire fulfillment centers are just going to be prisons. At the rate the country's going with uh fucking online shopping, the, the whole like industry down to like your food delivery person needs like there's not enough people for the amount of like um what's the word I'm looking for and like when you need when you need a uh, when you need a lot of stuff 
not required. Supply and demand. Yeah, the demand. That's what I'm looking for. Like the amount of demand like people are putting on like the industry, it's freaking ridiculous. Oh yeah. But yeah, I mean if you go and you look at like uh if you look at your standard Amazon fulfillment place, like a lot of them are isolated from main areas and they have their own kind of security thing and it's like all you need to do is put like some cots and some bars on here and you got a prison. I can only imagine the horror stories that come from that place, but you know, nobody ever talks about it. And when you do, you're just a fucking bad person. Well, you can only imagine because if anyone survives said horror stories, they've had, you know, had to sign a, you know, no disclosure thing. I doubt that. Cause I don't know. I've gone into, I mean, I work for what <laughs> supposedly the big competitor for Amazon, but we're not, we're not a warehouse. We don't sell shit. We just move the shit. And like it's just it's like night and day between like yeah they get paid more but like the way they treat their employees i could say like we i thought we treated our employees like shit but no it's the amazon is like the worst yeah there's there's stories i know out there and i can't relate some of them because like on the off flipping chance that uh, there's some sort of you know legal things still going Lord knows they have enough resources to just search everything. Like, shit, they follow their fucking employees. Like, they track their employees in the building. That's fucked up. Well, considering Amazon's going to end up being the, the foremost way most people are going to get their video games after, you know, GameStop just collapses on itself. I recall you and me, Phil, giving them a giving them a shelf life of about five years. Like, they were going to be able to dip their toe into the next generation, and then they were just going to uh... stumble down the stairs. That was five years pre-COVID. I'm aware. I still think they're going to be able to dip their toe into this new generation, but I don't think it's going to go any further than that. Especially because they're closing. Oh yeah, yeah, they're closing another hundred, another hundred plus more stores now. That was after they'd already closed another uh, closed hundred before then. My local one closed down uh, during COVID. Like I think May, May or uh, I know it was July. July was their last month open. Got some really easy, really, really cheap shit. But I mean, I'd rather have my GameStop than have a Mega Man X Buster and a fucking uh, Samus arm cannon for cheap. So I don't know. I guess that's a trade off. I think mine is still open, but like, I mean, given my situation, I haven't gone out among the general public for a lot of things. Yeah, I've Understand kind it. of been forced to, <laughs> but yeah, like um, the amount of like stores that are have like reopened like recently, this is going to turn into like a, the fucking first half of this podcast is going to be straight political. I, <laughs> I fucking know it already now. Oh, it's it's 2020. Do we have a choice? I mean, yeah, yeah we still we, talk we, about we, video we games and board games and everything's political, man. I know we have Which... options, though. We have options. I don't know. Well, it's the just, future um, generations need to know. Also true. Also true. We don't even have a demographic yet. Can you even say that the younger generations would even hear this shit? <laughs> this is also true. We don't have a demographic yet. We think we. I think we're at about. Um, I think last I checked, I think fifty to hundred listens. Um, well, I gotta. When my hope is that the future generations that survive this weird apocalypse kind of stumble upon us like that's my best case scenario it just kind of paints what this year's been like 
Yeah, I'm going to go full conspiracy theorist on you guys, and I'm just going to say that this election, pending on who wins, is going to this whole thing is going to just up and disappear by January. I'm going to say um, that uh, this whole thing, the only way I see the human race surviving is that aliens take mercy on us, which we now know <laughs> exist. Uh, let's can we. Can we all just put that out there that like they confirmed UFOs exist and the government knows about it? Like that yeah, happened. Uf- but UFOs are is literally like anything they can't identify. Like nobody knows what's up there. Like it could be like a fucking paper airplane with an LED light attached to it and it counts as a UFO. But but to be fair, I have been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan lately and he likes to eat <laughs> mushrooms and he's a big proponent of, you know, there's aliens out there. Uh, well, I mean, there's either there's it, it seems weird, given the vastness of the universe, that there isn't another life out there. It also seems weird, given the vastness of the distance between, you know, habitable areas that anything would make it to us. Yeah, I mean, the other the other theory that, you know, even Rogan was saying was we are technically like the human race is technically descendants of aliens or aliens had something to do with it because yeah, we're related to primates, but our brains evolved so much quicker than any other primate that it's like, we're like the distant relative to the primates. I don't know. I, I don't know enough evolutionary science science to really have a horse in this one. I just, I know no, life that's is why, strange. That's why I said the whole conspiracy theory thing before I started talking about it. Fair, fair. It came with a warning, thankfully. Yeah, he put out. You heard the crinkling of the tin foil hat as he slipped it on. That was his. That was the warning shot we got. You mean yeah, I, aluminum I hat? You can't buy tin foil anymore. Oh. oh, it's aluminum foil. I forgot. Oh no. Yeah, you can't buy tin foil because tin foil blocks the mind control rays, but aluminum foil doesn't. All right, all right. <laughs> so, so back on to the fantasy worlds we lose ourselves in to get away from this game. Listen, Look, listen, uh, time traveler, stop, stop talking like that. Listen, Look, just because I've a, seen I the future. I had to hope we'd go more Art Bell and less, uh, you know, gay frogs. But here we are, I guess. I don't know. Well, in I other missed, news, uh, Tony Hawk uh, One and Two was released uh, within like the last week. And it is nostalgic as fuck. Still got a full body chubby from it. Fantastic. Is it any good? It's the original game updated to HD and like faster. <laughs> it's it's like literally exactly like I remember it. Beautiful. Um, I kind of wish the the new skate was better. Or anything like the original skate games, because that was that was the games I really loved. I mean, I played so, Tony Hawk. But Skater XL, which also has been released within like the last week, is just like the old EA skate games. And apparently, you literally have to know how to skateboard, how to position your feet. There's like a huge learning curve to the game, and I'm like, uh, maybe I'll try it eventually, but uh, maybe not. Well, it isn't exactly like that because the other one had plots to it and it had a bunch of the contemporary skate stars and it also had like an open world. Like 
the skater games were amazing. And, I mean, it has a system for how you do tricks. And once you learn it, it's fluid. It's just, it's not like Tony Hawk where you can do, like, 3,000 degree turns and stuff like that. I mean, there, there are some pretty crazy stuff you can pull off in the X game things, but for the most part, it's it's closer to what actual skating is like. Yeah, I assume seems, skating is like. It seems it seems uh the game's very open worldy, at least from like the trailers and stuff I've watched. So like I said, I haven't picked it up yet, but um I may pick it up, but there's other stuff on discount right now. Like the um the PlayStation just updated like their greatest hits like section. So like I'm gonna pick up Tales of Berseria because we were talking about that in like one of our first three podcasts might have even been the first one so i'm gonna pick it up and finally play that game and then Only you fans at home will know i know right yeah yeah for those of you collecting the comic book issue yeah um what else has happened oh i played uh ghost of tsushima how's that game um it's like how i wish the assassin creed games were um, like you can go out and say, "Hey, everybody, I'm a samurai. Come get some," and uh, they will proceed to attempt to come get some. Uh, or you can just say, "I'm gonna stab everyone in the back with my sweet, sweet stabbing skills," and the game does not penalize you either way or force you to do either. Is it uh, Dark Soulsy in a way? Uh, no, no, it's not. And it's nowhere near that unforgiving. Okay, so it's not like, uh, was it the other one, Neo? Uh, yeah, yeah, Neo, and where, like, or, um, oh, the other samurai one. Whatever, other samurai game. Uh, no, th- this game, like, there's some solid, there's some solid progression. Um, it is, like, you can build your character differently. There's not a ton of different things. But what I will say is this game is absolutely, like, beautiful the way it looks. Like, there are some places, like, some scenery and stuff you could go where you literally write haikus and things. And it's just like, how how, how did you go and get what I other people have had access to graphically, but arrange it in such a natural and beautiful way that, I'm, that it feels like I'm watch, walking through an arboretum? That's awesome. That's what I was looking for. I might have to actually pick that game up now. I, I, was, I 100% um, recommend it. Yeah, I, the only reason I didn't pick it up is because I thought it was it was like a sequel to, to Neo or Neo 2. Or Oof, that would Dark ruin Soul. this game. If it was that hard, it would ruin it. Yeah, that's why I can't deal with those games. I, I literally uh, bought uh, Dark Souls. The beginning is Switch. kind of unforgiving. I will I will be honest. The beginning is kind of unforgiving. But you, you, it's not like, oh, I missed this one shot. I guess I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you poke the wrong, you poke the wrong thing, and it kills you right off the bat. It's not like that. I will say the way I've died more than anything is accidentally taking like an acrobatic dive off of too high of a cliff. A lot because like where the game says you can go and like parkour your way out of instant death and where you can't is a little bit hinky, but on the plus side, it'll go and say, Oh, you died. And let me put you right before you jumped off that cliff. Oh, nice. So it's like, Oh, Oh, 
No real loss here. All right. That's uh, that's actually really awesome. I might actually really have to pick this game up now. <laughs> what else is there? Um, comic book wise, I haven't finished. I started the last year. I started um, the Absolute Carnage series, and I'm still missing. I think probably five or six titles to complete it. But that was fucking amazing. Uh, it's, is it the same Carnage? Cletus uh, Cassidy? Kind of. So the, this whole thing is Carnage is going to find all of the symbi- all the people who have ever worn a symbiote. So it goes and explains that um, the symbiote world is not actually a world. It is um, all the symbiotes containing their god. Uh, I can't remember the god's name. Null. Yeah, it was containing Null, and Carnage figured out that all the symbiotes, anybody who's ever worn it, it catalogs all of their abilities, all of their DNA, like everything about them. So whoever's, whoever's worn it still has like traces of symbiote, and they all communicate together. So Carnage is literally going around killing everybody uh, who's ever worn the symbiote. That's kind of a big list. It is a huge list, and he goes after Deadpool, he goes after Wolverine, he goes after Hulk, he goes after Scream, um, Miles, Green Goblin. Um, Venom is actually the good guy, is one of the good guys in this book, which is phenomenal. And he's older and has a child. Uh, Brock? Eddie Brock? Yep. Wow. Yep, it goes off of the newer it the so it starts off with the absolute carnage and then it crosses over a bunch of titles. It, it carnage ends up even fighting a uh, ghost rider. Hmm. Kind of nutty. Yeah, I'm kind of looking to see if they're going to put them all in a book or if I need to go find the last 10. I should probably just find the last 10 just to complete the collection and then buy the graphic novel later. Whatever's yeah. clever, right? Yeah. I think I've read one recent comic. And that was like the new, the, that weird cyberpunk 20-something thing where it's like a medic team and all that. So I started to get back into comics right when everybody switched over, like the new 52 um Marvel rebooted the X-Men series, which the reboot was cool. And then I stopped collecting because the guy who I was buying from just stopped taking my um, pull list for some reason. So uh, I stopped going in and buying comics from him. That sucks. Yeah. The new X-Men is cool too, because uh, it starts with Wolverine and Wolverine and Sabretooth are the ones that start the X-Men, not Professor Xavier. Huh. I did actually read the arc uh, where the X-Men have, like, that weird living island thing. It has, like, three different timelines that are going at the same time. It's called Krakoa. 
Yeah, I remember. I did read that a little a while ago. I thought it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, they all started kind of weird. Even like the new Fifty Two for DC started off really fucking weird. Um, I've been I read uh, DC's uh, what was it the Young Animals kind of imprint? Uh, what was it uh, Gerard Way was doing? I kind of liked how wacky that stuff was, and it's like uh, what he was doing with Doom Patrol and all that. Nice. You know who I actually picked up that I actually have never really read before was uh, Lady Justice, only because Neil Gaiman was taking over that series. Nice. Yeah, it was really, really well written. His his run on uh, what several years back, gosh, uh, his run on the Eternals was really good. Like I think right before, right during the Civil War thing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of those top ten comics videos on YouTube right now. So I'm getting a lot. I'm getting a crash course on a lot of things that I I lost track of as I haven't been reading comics in about 15 years. Oh, you so, said top ten comics, and I thought you were talking about comedians for a second. <laughs> no, the 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 channel's called Top Ten Nerd, and they cover different comic related top ten lists of uh, either. Specific things about characters, specific things about timelines. And... That wasn't the thing that had the Final Fantasy Tactics thing, was it? No, that was a different one that I sent you. And uh, yeah, I know, I know you have your opinions on that one. Full <laughs> of lies is what that was. <laughs> Did it say Final Fantasy Tactics sucks? Cause, uh, no, that's, that's just heresy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's true. Oh, man. Why you got to be a heretic like that? I just don't like that style of game, which is weird because I, I actually enjoy Fire Emblem a little bit, but I fucking hate Final Fantasy Tactics. You literally play a tactics like war game. <laughs> I know, that's the weird part about it. I just never got into it and I can't get into it. Oh man, now I just have to accept you for your with your flaws. <laughs> Damn my aging softening me against other people's opinions. No, it's just like I just for some reason that's the only Final Fantasy title I just well that and Final Fantasy uh nine? No. I like nine. Eight? Eight. Final Fantasy eight I did not enjoy. Okay. How do you like <laughs> nine but you hate those fucking twins? <laughs> I knew that was coming. The, no, two, no, no. the, the double speaking twins? No, you're yes. right. I probably hate them too. Yeah, they ruined them. Okay, so with everything I, else, I didn't enjoy eight because of the linear movement. We've we've talked about this before. I didn't like the linear. You couldn't go back to towns, and you had to stay. But then again, we were still in a time where we had to switch CDs to go to the next part of the story. At least you accept that that was a reality. Well, yeah, of course it was. Just like now, and if I go back to play like old style games, like like actual games, like Silent Hill and stuff like that, I just—it's not scary anymore. It's like, what happened? Like, do do I have to really go to the depths of the graphics now to be scared? 
Well, I'm not even affected by that either. Like the new graphic stuff, it, it it doesn't do anything to me anymore. I think I think it's just numbness in general. I don't want to assume that it has anything to do with graphic fidelity at that point. It just I don't think I'm in the headspace where you know that particular type of psychological horror is really going to affect me unless it's orchestrated in a specific way. And I don't think the Silent Hill series has that kind of power anymore over me. Wasn't Del Toro supposed to be making a horror uh, game? Yeah, that was Silent Hills, and that fell apart because of uh, the whole thing with Kojima and you know Konami. That that was that was an that's an old bit of trivia. But yeah, we have a Pachinko Sil- machine now. Yes. Um. And- yeah. It's where you are when you're playing the game, mentally. Like I remember when I was a kid playing. Uh, what was it, Alone in the Dark? on the PC that thing scared scared me it terrible but i mean like if you look at it even like a couple years later the 3d graphics for that were laughable yeah i had the same thing with the suffering i actually had like a surround sound system at the time and i was playing in the dark with the rain and i was like it scared the crap out of me now i'm like uh, what um playing a space marine in the old aliens versus predator game turning all the lights off and turning the sound all the way up. That game is terrifying. Not so yeah. much now. I feel like, but back then I think a lot of it was more like psychological scares. Like you still have games like that now, like outlast and outlast two, but more of more of the scare, they're jump scares. It's like trying to get you when you're not expecting it. And it's harder and harder to do. Um, like, what was it? Uh, the the infamous level uh, from Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, where you go to the abandoned hotel. Um, I've had I know people to this day who still will not play through that level because even it it kind of still holds up. I mean, it's just orchestrated really well as something that's scary. You're dealing with ghosts in kind of a The Shining fashion. But nowadays, it's like Five Nights at Freddy's. The only time that really scared me uh, was when I was sleep deprived. That oh, one, yeah, that that one you know it's coming. Your whole point is to stop them from coming at you. Like that's so. Like if you slow down and like you know it's coming. Like you know it's coming. That's totally recommended. Sleep deprived though. Yeah, it literally becomes a speed test. Like, how fast can I manage all these things? Can you imagine if they set a hard mode for that game where if you fucked up at any point during, like, a full five to six night run, you had to start from night one, people would destroy themselves. Someone would figure out the pattern. There's got to be a pattern to it. Oh, there is. Dude, the hardest version of the game is called Ultimate Custom Night. And there is a le- there is a point called the 2050 mode, which there are literally 50 uh, animatronics in that game that you can have active at any given point. And you can set them all to 20, and you play through, it's called 50-20 mode. And they're mind-destroyingly difficult to get around, but eventually, there's enough people playing the game, someone's going to figure it out, and figure out the pattern recognition to keep it going. And they did it. <laughs> mm. When... when- when you force the creator to have to patch in an ending because they they didn't think you were going to get through it. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Scott Cawthon should have figured that shit out by like game three. 
when he realized when he realized that people were just buzzsawing through his game because people were hungry for that level of challenge that he was providing. Yeah. Well, yeah. good horror should not have too much explanation. No, not at all. But because of the nature of things, there isn't much explanation on how things are done. You figure it out as you go along. But the mythos behind the entirety of it, including the books that have come out, have created this world that has its own, you know, heartbeat and its own breath. It's actually kind of astounding. And, you know, anything that keeps Matt Pat employed, obviously, has got to be good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's when the fandom takes over. And I, I kind of enjoy when some fandoms do that. But then I hate it when they go, like, the fucking Star Wars universe. Like, I, I love Star Wars. But I hate the people that are like, do you know the extended universe? Have you done this? Have you read this? And I'm like, listen, guy, I like Star Wars. Does it matter if I've read anything? Like, stop. There should not well, be like a written test you have to have to enjoy things. No, the thing exactly. With it is, the thing with it is for the, because I have a friend who is a, a comic book writer who is a hardcore extended universe buff. And you can't convince him left, right, or center that the new trilogy is anything other than a sl other than pig slop. And honestly, I I, I can't. I'm not going to go out of my way to try and convince him at this point. I I, I like why why did you enjoy it? Because it was a Star Wars movie. Exactly. Well, there's but they, but his statement is, is well that's Disney Star Wars. That's not technically the Star Wars. I'm like Disney owns Star Wars. Just because they're not doing anything with the original extended universe doesn't mean that it isn't Star Wars. Now, if you don't like it because of, of what of the creative directions that they took, that is completely understandable. But I didn't, okay. I didn't go into this expecting an opus. It's fucking Star Wars. <laughs> right, but if you're going to if you're going to complain that like Disney took over Star Wars, then you have no right to like The Mandalorian. <laughs> A lot of them don't. Dude, some of them have some of them have like that that was the bridge no further that they were going. Mandalorian, any of the other side shit that they plan on doing doesn't exist in their eyes. Because even in the comics, like they went and they did an entire Disney Disney universe completely separate of the extended universe comics, which was a good and a bad thing, obviously. Uh, Legends, was it? Yeah, that's it's Legends continuity and the uh, Disney continuity. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's just a movie. It's just entertainment. And the fact that it got me to watch, like, an Akira Kurosawa movie, I mean, like, getting you to watch an Akira Kurosawa movie is a net good, in my opinion. I It got me to watch Hidden Fortress to see where this actually all came from originally. And that got me to watch Seven Samurai. And that movie is flippin' amazing. Speaking of Disney movies, how about the new Mulan? There's so much backlash going on right now. It's fucking ridiculous. I I love Wuja movies, so I have no I didn't want to see like not well-made Wuja movies, so I haven't watched it. So I didn't watch it because I didn't feel like paying 29 bucks for it. Yeah, I watched That's it. That's also a thing. So I bought I bought it the day the day it released and then I was like and then I listened to all the fucking drawbacks of that I was like I don't want to pay twenty nine ninety nine for this movie and I'm like well they gave you another option you can wait till December like everybody else that's your other option I might watch it then yeah Absolutely. some people some people are like I found it for free okay good for you why why the fuck are you telling me because I paid for it 
Like, relax. You know, you, you're allowed to pay for anything you want to pay for. That's... Right, but it's like it's like people shame you for like I've had people shame me for buying my music now. Like I stopped downloading music when I could start when I like I was able to start affording the music I wanted. I only buy like a song here or there, and I only listen to the fucking like '90s music basically because that's when music was good. Oh, really? Showing your age there, Jay? Hey, listen, that's when music was good. You can fight uh, me on that. The last album I bought, I bought digitally. And that was a prequel by Ghost. And that was an amazing album. Um, See, no, no problem with paying for music. Yeah, no. And it's it's funny because like, it's like I get shamed now for not pirating stuff like I used to back in the day. It's like, what the hell? Like, can't, can't just, why does it matter like what I do like for myself? Like, why? Why do you care? <laughs> Well, anyway, so I, <laughs> I was I, I listened to all the people complain it's about fa- it's a fair concern, dude. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, whatever. So I I had um I I listened to all the people complain about the paying for their Mulan movie, and then now I'm going back. Everyone's like, "Well, Disney changed Mulan. Mulan was just a regular person. She didn't have magic. Now she's magical, and nobody could be Mulan now." And I was like, "What?" And then and then I find out. That Disney, um, the where they shot the movie, is known for abusing the people who live there. Like I guess they're like an indigenous people. Uh, and, the Uyghurs. Yeah, I guess I don't know. And Disney shat all over the people to film the movie. Maybe I'm just conflating that with China's other problem that like their native uh, Muslim population they completely and utterly us yeah i think that's what they were i think that's where they were i think it's the same issue people are just bringing it to light but i'm like what i'm like wait a minute wait a minute so you hate the movie for how disney shot it but then do you background check all the other movies you watch because i'm sure all the other movies shot in like new zealand and shit are not done correctly or take advantage of some people or the country that they're in well no then They'd have to, they wouldn't be able to enjoy anything. Oh, 100%. But it's like, and then they were like, well, it's, it's not like, I, I like it because it represented Asian people, but it, I didn't like it because it, it didn't, because it, it didn't represent the right kind of Asian people. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, so do you hate every kung fu movie ever released? Because that's what I thought I watched was a kung fu movie. Um, how, how would you actually say it compared to like something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or like House of Flying Daggers? So, um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I did not like because the way they shot the fight scenes was cool, but it wasn't what I was expecting from like an actual like kung fu movie. When I think kung fu movie, I think Umbak, I think um, It Man. Well, it's it's not a kung fu movie. It's it's a it's a different genre. Okay, fair enough. It's a it's a wuja movie, which are usually more mystical. Um, there there's there's a pacing difference huge pacing difference between anything that like old ang lee did and anything the shaw brothers did so it has elements of crouching tiger hidden dragon it has the elements like the elements where you find out mulan um is like magical and they have like uh, a witch lady um and then 
Um, I forgot the guy's name. Something Khan starts with a B. I don't know. It's not Genghis Khan. It's uh, starts with fuck. I can't remember the name. Something with a B. Like you all know. the fight scenes have elements of like Crouching Tiger, um, but a lot of them are like regular fight scenes. Like if you saw a medieval war scene when they're actually like fighting each other, that's what you're seeing. It's got elements of like real like war scenes and elements of like the crouching tiger fighting scenes mixed into it. I really enjoy okay, it. Okay, so it's not one way or another. Right. It's not like full blown like mystical fighting, but it's also not full blown um like People flying around. Or... That sounds actually kind of cool. Um, I mean, my main problem with people's argument is like, oh, she has magical powers. Uh, does anyone forget the fact that she had like a flipping dragon going around with her? Yeah, she doesn't have the dragon anymore. That's gone. <laughs> oh, well, I, I could see why, like, not having a dragon, you know, that's... Oh, it's, a, it's a phoenix now, to be fair. <laughs> okay, I mean, like, she had mystical powers in the other one. She literally had her guardian, her ancestor spirits going and going out of their way to help her. Like that's right. not but something regular people get. <laughs> right. But they're saying that um in the first movie she was she had to struggle um as like a woman in the military and she had to like overcome all these things and she was they were about to kick her out and she overcame this and she did it by her sheer will, not by like some magical thing. And so now Mulan's not realistic anymore because she has magical powers and she's hiding it's it's like it's a mix between the story. Don't forget, this is a fairy tale, right? It's but it's based off of a poem. Like Disney based it off of a real poem of Mulan. Yeah, it's it's a fairy tale essentially. Right, but it's like it's um it's got like the it's got t- uh, tones of the Frozen story and tones of the old cartoon. They they changed thing like how they did things, but it's got. It's, it has similarities between the old mo- the cartoon movie and like some of the story from like Frozen. And also to point this out, um, Mulan wasn't just a regular soldier in the cartoon; she was the best soldier. Right, and that's what she becomes in this one too. Like she she literally went and you know was way better than all the other people she was training with. Right, but in this movie they they um do it as she's using her chi her magic to become the best not her sheer willpower yeah. but literally that's what chi is in yeah. like wuja films that is her force of will you you don't have to explain that to me you, you, you i'm just thinking of people at home man <laughs> for those know, of you children I really enjoyed the movie, and I thought it was great, and I thought it could have been a little bit longer. They could have done some different scenes, but I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was. I thought it was worth the thirty bucks. I'm gonna watch it again, so it's definitely gonna be worth thirty bucks. And you know, whatever. Fair enough. I, I can't argue with it. Like People I said, complaining. Oh, and absolutely. I mean, if we have, if you have nothing left to do and you're captive, what else can you do other than complain? Oh, but Create it's like your own thing. Stop complaining. Like, okay, let's go. Let's go into one of our topics about the fucking complaining. Like, 
with Watsy removing race from their D and D source material. It sounds like all they're really removing is the racial stereotyping. They kind of want things to be based more on heritage and ancestry, as opposed to preconceived notions as a template for uh, new pl- for players interacting with the uh, denizens of any particular realm that they're wandering around. In. And right. honestly, I I don't really care about that. I, I had a conversation with an older gentleman who had been gaming probably since you know Gygax was up and kicking. And it was something that he just couldn't he, he couldn't reconcile. And I, I tried I basically talked him off the ledge on it because he was pretty he was pretty nerd ragery about it. His statement was is like the things are there for a reason. And one of the major headaches that he he kept running into is a lot of people kept citing uh, J.R. Tolkien's work as a, as a racist template. When you and, and a lot of people are making these parallels to Tolkien being a monster of some kind when. His history is completely not that. The work that he did during the during World War II and everything else that he was doing that is completely not not even remotely what he would be at so that the point. argument. The argument I'm hearing now is that Gygax himself was racist or was known as a racist. I can't confirm or deny this, but that is the first I've ever heard anything what about said. that. That is what I said, and I just literally heard about it like a couple weeks ago. I was like, no. I've been in the RP community in the in since like for twenty years now. I'm a second generation D and D nerd. Yeah, I've been playing since fucking second edition. So it's like I've never people talk too, like people I've gossip. Been... Right, the guy was alive. How come you've never heard of it? It doesn't matter. These are all things that they unearth that have been unearthed, you know, conveniently as the as a particular uh, ideology or narrative is needing to be pushed. Again, no, I get it. History speaks for itself, and if the fa- and if the data is there to show that these individuals aren't as nefarious as these people claim them to be, honestly, I don't think. It, I think at that point, people who keep spouting it should just be ignored. Now, yeah. can you say that a lot of the things that he was talking about in the books? may have may have had you know inclination to specific races in real life you can make parallels like that anything people draw conclusions from anything the point of uh, any narrative or a bit of literature is you draw your own conclusions the problem ends up being is when you get a bunch of these people convincing themselves and other people that there is a uh, underlying uh, malfeasance in something that there isn't Here's where here's where I have a problem with this, and it's not even like it's a problem. It's more of a problem with the people that forced Watsi to even make a statement about it. Is that okay? So they're getting rid rid of the stereotyping. So like Drow are no longer evil, but they kind of did that already. They they did that with with uh, Ari Salvatore and the whole uh, Drizzt series. They they've made Drow more human more complex they've done that already so for people to say that they're you know drow are still evil then how did that like how is that possible like none of these races like even orcs orcs they have the reason they have a alignment thing in there is so that you can be any alignment the only thing that it restricted you back in the day was um what the hell were they called level adjustment 
level adjustments to play them. That was it. That was the only thing you had. There was no stipulation that if you played this character, you had to be inherently evil. You had to be or neutral. You had to be lawful good. You had to be, you know, you had to be any of those. There was nothing saying that. You just had the level adjustment. So for for Watsi to make was a statement, two or a three, I think it was a two. That, that, that tracks. Yeah, and then they um, tieflings used to be. I think tieflings used to be a four because they weren't a playable race until three point five. I think no three point five. They were still a monster no. race. Yeah, they weren't a player. They weren't a playable race until uh, five. And you know how many people like tieflings? I know that tieflings are their absolute favorite now. Yeah, so like, but that's what I'm saying. Like, but you don't have to inherently play an evil tiefling. You see what I'm saying? Like, no. so I don't understand why anybody forced Watsi to make this. But at the same time, they said that in their source material, like, um, they specifically stated Eberron and uh, Curse of Strahd. Um, apparently, the stereotyping of the Romani um, is very close to the Romani of the real world and that's not well, good apparently um yeah so they, um what was it in strad they're called the vistani yes which is nuts and they go and they do kind of make them out to be like untrust like and it's not even all of them too like they they go and they specifically say that the majority of them are just like travelers that have some sort of you know social stigma from the people of Barovia, but there are some who work for Strahd. Right, but apparently they're changing how they're wording the stuff now. And if you have an older book, you'll have the old version and all newer books, they're rewording how they're they're talking about them now. I just hope they adjust like the actual thing. I have a whole I have a whole other problem with Curse of Strahd and it has nothing to do with the Vistani. I, I get it was I when I was running that once I'm like hmm this is a little bit this hasn't aged too well but that wasn't my main problem with it like because you can no but as, it's, a, as like, a DM you could just dance around that right but like I said during like before we even started recording we we are never going to see another Dark Sun reprint the amount of backlash that happened when Watsi said oh we're gonna bring back Dark Sun and then you have another one now mind you. I get it. It's very edge lordy. It's very dark. It has really no place in the current D and D world. It comes with a trench coat and mirror shades and a fedora. Oh yeah, <laughs> milady. I'm just saying. But at the same time, like that setting was basically a very post-apocalyptic type feel to it. Like if everything, if everything went to shit. I'm not saying it's not right now. If everything went to shit and nobody had control over anything, you don't think that we would end up in a world very similar to Dark Sun? Uh, besides the psychic stuff and magic, yeah. Um, right, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's going to be tribes of people that, that come together. There's going to be hatred for other tribes. There's going to be blatant, flat-out racism. There's going to be slavery. There's going to be fucking, um, you know, sexual assaults. There's going to be all this stuff that Dark Sun, like, it never, you don't have to play Dark Sun and have these things in your campaign. You don't. But that's where, that's where I think the people have problems. 
is everything that's in these books, it's all suggested. Nobody's making you. No one's putting a, No one from the company is sending out hired goons to put a gun to your head and have you keep every single damn thing that they have in their source books, modules, splat books. None of it has, you don't want to use any of it except for the name of the world. Go right ahead. I think the problem ends up being is that there's a lack of imagination on their parts, or there's a certain point where I think people are just like, look, I'm just picking the book up. I'm running, you know, a couple of modules that I picked up from there because I don't want to go and write up a full narrative for this and a whole story. I'm using this as, a, as an easy way to, you know, test the waters to see if I want to, you know, go further in this if people are interested. And what ends up happening is they start stumbling on the darker aspects of these modules and these different campaigns, and it turns them off. And it's just like, nobody told you you had to use any of them. Just just, just omit them. Take them out. Here's ignore them. What the fuck's stopping you? You still have people out there that think favored enemy is racist, like is a racism thing. Like, no, you're just really good at killing that one specific thing. Again, you're having a situation where people are equating the ranger specializations as a as a hard, fast template for how that character is supposed to be run. If you want to set it so that the cre- that that your rangers can't have a favored enemy that is a sentient creature, that's on you as the DM of the game to be able to go, okay, you can pick any creature that's in this book that does not have higher brain function. I am doing this because you're a hunter type. You hunt cre- you hunt lower creatures like hogs and whatever you know fantasy creatures are there. It, it, it that's the point of being a ranger. We're not, but, you know, even you, still, you, but even still, just because you're good at killing a specific thing or killing a specific, uh, like we'll say race, doesn't mean that you have to hate that specific race. It just means that you're you've dealt with more of them in a combat situation. That's what that means. Like, also, it's it's to know your it, you have to really know your player base, and that's the problem is that there's so many groups. Not, I'm not saying like recently, but so many older players that still hold on to the Tolkien style gameplay and can't evolve into what everybody's trying to play now. It's basically keeping people out. You're pushing people out of the hobby. There's a couple things here that I that I have to kind of unpack. Um, one, I think a lot of the Tolkien slash Gygax uh, racism thing that's coming out is a conflation of people who've never actually read Lord of the Rings and conflating it with like you know uh Steve Jackson's movies because yeah all all the elves are white I get it you know I I get like if you think that's actually what you know Tolkien was saying about the elves I could understand that I mean reading a book is hard now it really is but like uh same thing with like Dark Sun, it's what it came out in fourth edition. Like a couple books came out in fourth edition, and no one batted an eye. Uh, but and also, uh, Ranger is terrible and should be a subclass of fighter. <laughs> no, <that>? so <laughs> I I don't know. Like the I don't know how to explain it, but like not every time you have 
slaves doesn't have to be one race. Doesn't have to be a certain thing. Not not every time you have um, like sexual things does it always have to be female. There could be male sex slaves. Like there's things that like there's ways to put it in the game to not offend people, and there's also ways that you can drop it in and then skip over it if your players aren't aren't okay with it like you need to be able to read your players that's how it is oh hands down absolutely you you will not hear me argue with you the main problem and i would say this um this definitely is a new issue with fifth fifth edition uh fifth edition is very much not an adult's game it is it is a game that is geared towards younger younger players agreed um Black Sun, it, it, it's it's or Dark Sun. I don't. I never got to play in the setting. I never. I know. I know of it, but I never got to play in it. It is a. It is a definitely an adult themed setting. And even like back then, if I'm not mistaken, they kind of made it out to be an adult themed setting. Yeah, that was the whole point behind it. It was more of an adult setting. Well, that's not the direction that like you know Wizards of the Coast is going. It's very obvious that they are not going to have any real adult themes in Dungeons and Dragons anymore. But if that's something you're looking for, there are a ton of people out there outside of, you know, wizards who are doing supplements that are definitely have a more mature aspect that deal with some of the evils that are sadly more realistic. And if that's something you want to tackle as a DM, there are resources out there for you. Absolutely. Correct, but it's not. It's it. I I think it. It you can't just. We're not like even D and D. You can't even talk about that. But like I mean, it can't just be D and D. And I think what happens is you run into games like uh, anything White Wolf. Um, <laughs> did you just laugh at me? I I laughed at White Wolf in general. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like you, it's. I feel Which like problem? Certain settings. And certain types of people are drawn to certain settings. Yeah. Uh, let's just go and dive into it. Vampire the Masquerade, the the fifth edition came out, and they took an absolute large amount of shit for even including the fact that, like, you know, there are, there are people who are getting executed in certain parts of the world for their sexual orientation. And I think a lot of people in games they don't want to be confronted with that and so they see even including that in a game as tacit approval of that yeah it's it's weird because there's certain that's again another thing where you have to read your players and uh, I would last never I run checked, last I checked didn't um the Obi-Wan club have something where you could remove yourself from a situation uh that is actually a huge thing that's happened from a lot of a lot of uh people that's that's stuff that's been going on for a while and what kills me is like it's a common sense thing so why this had to be stated and then i remembered oh yeah we're we're people people are dumb uh it's the black card rule and that is something that's like a bunch of games have had over the years where you're just saying, I, this, whatever is happening in here, I do, I do not wish to go into why, but it is causing me a 
certain level of anxiety I am uncomfortable with, and I will now be removing myself from this scenario. And as long as that's and I and a sincere use of that, I don't have any problems with. You know, World of Darkness is a personal horror game. And there are some times that you explore things that are you think you're okay with and you find out you're not. No, I True. can agree with that. But at the same time, I think that we could run into like when you started when you're first starting at D D, you've DM'd Phil. You've yeah. I'm sure you've DM'd too, right, Drew? Right. When before you start the game, you kinda ha- you know, go over, hey, this is what we did before. This is this is where we're starting. Why not add like, hey, there we might be put into a situation uh, that involves this and throw it out to the players. And then you can judge right at the beginning of the game if that situation can even be come up. I think that is like, once again, it's a common sense thing. But also, you never know. Like you, Like, you may go and run this adventure and you think it's perfectly fine. And then, like, you started, like, let's say, for example, you start uh, mentioning an encounter they're having with giant spiders. And then you get into it, describing it, and a person who has arachnophobia has, starts to get anxiety just from the description you're having. That's not something you planned for, because you don't know where your player's coming from, and that's why you have something where they could go, they could just say, hey, I'm not cool with this. You know, and that would be the end of it. Sometimes people, I feel like, can't speak up for themselves in situations like that. And I think that's why the rule exists, right? To let them and, know that they have approval. So right, right. But at the same time, some people will just stay in a situation because they feel like they're ruining the moment, and they feel like if they say something, they'll be ostracized, kind of kind of thing. So I think that's another thing where the person in like. I guess in charge uh, needs to be able to read the room. I don't know. It's a difficult situation because it's like you want to make the game more inclusive, but at the same time, keep, keep the fantasy part of it into it. And then you can't, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. I mean, it's not an easy balance and anyone who thinks running a game is easy, just try it just just try it it's not and but it's i feel just, like i feel uh, like we're the we're the counterculture to what geek and sundry is um well i think the the thing is like it, it's hard i mean and that is actually something i've heard recently that like uh there's become such a popularity of those kind of uh, broadcasts i mean i what's the term the mercer effect that uh, people are basically just saying, you know, hey, this is how you're supposed to run D&D because I've seen it on this thing. I'm like, hey, he didn't invent it, man. It's been around for a while. <laughs> yeah, but he's a very well voiced. He's a very vocal celebrity doing that kind of shit. And he was one of the more between him and Will Wheaton. They were the major uh, spe- major uh, spearheads for getting that shit more mainstream. So when you have a lot of these people who are either beginning uh, D&D novices or people who were watching a lot of those playthroughs and have one or two sessions under their belt, 
they assume that that's just how things work because those two people have created this scenario where they have a hard and fast rule with things, so everyone should have a hard and fast rule. That's pretty much in line. It, it comes down that you you have to open the line, like any relationship, you have to open the lines of communication and build trust as early and as often as you can. Nobody's willing to like, do that anymore. I feel like at this point, if you are the person to tell somebody how they can play their character, you're the problem. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, here here's what I, I would say, is that I do take this from the idea of, like, my family D&D games. Like, I won't... I I wouldn't... There were there were certain things that, like, were happening in the Strahd campaign. They, even they suggested that I'm like, I'm not going to do this because, like, I don't feel that this would be fun and I don't feel that this would actually be something that, like, certain players would have the maturity to really understand. Um, specifically younger, younger people, the, the loss of agency, uh, th- those kind of things. And you avoid them and you build trust with them because, I mean, these are supposed to be your friends. Like, oh, when you, when you become an adversarial DM, quit. Right. I'm also thinking more of, a, of the lines of um, convention gaming. Because there's some people that just go to the convention to do the gaming. And, like, they'll sit down in a campaign setting and have a random dm and that's kind of who they're stuck with like you don't know them they don't know you but at the same time if i'm running a game i'm not gonna automatically jump into some like dark horror bullshit right off the bat like i'm gonna like kind of work my way into it and then see how things go and if it doesn't if i don't take it that way if the group doesn't go that way then i don't take it there at all i don't force the campaign on somebody yeah I mean that's just that's just bad that's just bad running a game. You you should never um there I mean there's two things you you want to avoid as much as possible when you're running a game. Railroading, which for anyone at home who doesn't know what that is, it's going and basically saying here's what what's happening. Your choices don't matter because this is the outcome and we're going to get to that outcome whether you like it or not. And becoming adversarial where you're looking at the players and you're like I'm going to beat you guys because I'm playing the bad guys, so therefore I want to win. Yeah, I don't think that's the goal for me ever. I think the goal is to make it challenging enough that if I kill a few players, cool. <laughs> if, but the goal is for them to succeed in the process. Yeah, that's because you're the goal. The goal of someone who is running a game is that you are you you direct all of the other actors you are you run the scenery you run all of this stuff you effectively control the world that they're interacting in the idea of being adversarial towards them is pointless because that's basically them going into a world where you know god hates them <laughs> and the thing i the thing i hate fun. the most though and the thing where i think i become most adversarial is when the party starts doing shit to themselves like uh, like the rogue stealing from like another party member or the paladin going and killing the person who they just found out was evil in the party. That is, that is something I've actually had to go and put down. And this is, this is why you have house rules and this is why you have that discussion. And I had to get to this point because certain, you know, there was some adversarial problems I've had in some groups and I've had to say, listen, 
no matter what, at the end of the day, you are all on the same team. All right? You don't get to steal from them. They don't get to hurt you. You can say you do this. I'm going to just, I'm going to use my power as the person running this game to say, no, that's not what happens. These, these people you're with are your best friends and trusted companions. You know, you're not playing, you're playing a hero if you're in a hero campaign. But either way, even if you're in a non-heroic campaign, you're playing with your friends. And being a jackass right. to your friends is not how this game works, how any game should work. You really have to understand the dynamic of the alignments. So if you're going to play an evil character, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go out and hurt somebody. It means you're just a little bit more selfish on how you're doing things. Alignments are guidelines. And I have, if I had my druthers, I'd have them removed entirely from D&D because they're an artifact of a very different type of game and they have no place in there. It's like, are you good? Well, what are your actions? Well, they kind of they kind of changed that with the paladins already. So paladins no longer have to be lawful good. They just have to follow their creed now. Yeah, they have oaths that they take that are very different depending on each character. And I find that to be absolutely amazing in contrast to the hard and fast, you know, original alignments of like 3, 3.5, and 2, where it's just like, no, this is what you are. This is how you're going to act. And if you, you know, step out of line, you're, you're, you know, I'm just going to have God, you know, smite you for doing it. And there are now enough paladin oaths out there for like, especially with like, uh, what was it? The uh, Oath of the Champion or something from Theros. Like that basically lets you be kind of like an old style Greek hero. Like, there's enough oaths out there to any type of play. Right. Very that's, true. that's what I'm saying. So like. Most people don't even pay attention to the alignments. The alignments only really mattered for if you were playing a paladin or druid, because I think druid had to be uh, true neutral, correct? Um, monk used to have to be lawful. Okay, which that makes sense. Was crazy. I mean, the, the alignments. The alignments never made sense to me. Um, they're not how humans work, and they're not fluid, which is how a lot of people are. I mean, like. Everyone has situations where they're going to react differently. Correct. The thing, so... the, the issue that I have with that, Phil, is that when you have a class that heavily relies on the, a mystical bent, and there's a specific uh, temperament that is parallel to that particular power source, like, for example, druids are neutral because that's the way nature actually functions everything that it does whether it's you know whether it's uh, destructive or beneficial it's never it's never with an ill intent or a or a benevolence it does it because it's nature so the tenets of those people who follow nature's laws is neutrality in everything that you do because that makes sense because it's literally you're following nature as a path with paladins it's the same thing why is it? Why am I like this? Well, because you are following the rule. The, you're following your God, so you have to follow His alignment. Now, the oath thing definitely subs, sidesteps that nicely, and I'm happy about it because running, running those, trying to run a relatively nebulous campaign like I did, where it's just like you know, alignments don't matter unless you have a rule set that actually is tenant to it, and you don't have a choice. It becomes kind of a headache to be able to you know micromanage that kind of shit. Now. 
I know a lot of people would tell me, well, that's been happening since, you know, the original D and D everyone's had, you know, tenant alignments and stuff, but it's just like, well, yeah, I don't really care about what happened then. I'm trying to run things now. My objective is everything that you do is liquid. And the only reason that you would be stuck to a specific alignment is you told me yourself that this is what you're doing and you want me to hold you to it so that you are creating a specific sense of challenge for yourself. Otherwise, I don't care. Which is funny because the two classes that aren't affected by that are Warlock and Cleric. Which is insane because they're the ones that actually have to deal directly with an otherworldly entity that has very strong opinions on how you should live your life. Right? And as I, it just blows my mind that the Paladin would be oh. the one that... <laughs> and know. also, uh, Druid is also a garbage class and should either be a subset of Warlock or Sorcerer. No, I like Druid. Oh, 100% has no right to be its own class. Wow. No, Bill no. just taking pot shots at all the classes. My goodness. Uh, I mean, there's so much in D&D that they need to trim out because I feel it's just artifacts of, an, of a bygone era. That's why I always play a bard. Bard will never go away. It wasn't always there in the beginning. Also true. <laughs> Uh, also, Bard got really good in 5th Ed. Like, really good. The top three classes are Bard, uh, Paladin, and Moon Druid. I can see that. But, like, Druid is essentially you're just getting your power from nature, and I really think that could either be taken care of under Warlock or under Sorcerer better than having its own thing. I would dispute that and say it would be more of a um, a warlock or a cleric, because you're dealing still in a type of domain and Actually, clerics. Good point. And clerics definitely deal in nature domains because there's some gods that they worship that have nature as their portfolio. Clerics have well, always been beastly, though. Oh, and depending on and you could run a, you could run an entire party of clerics and all of them doing different things. That's the fun part. But you could say that about any class now, especially in fifth ed, and oh, and, yeah. and uh, Stark and, and Starfinder. You said that they could have an entire party of warriors, and they all play different. That's the level of customization you're dealing with, and that's and, not even including the rate, the uh, the the specific. I'll use the statement. That, I'll use the say the statement that uh, Wizards was using: heritage and ancestry instead of race. And you're you're no one character is ever going to be the same depending on how they're role played. Uh, also, with that, uh, like once Tasha's comes comes out, any complaints I I've been hearing from people saying there's not enough customization in D and D should go out the window, because that's like another twenty something subclasses. What do you mean? There's so many. Oh my god! I know, I know, but there are people who are like, ah, I'm not doing fifth ed because it's not D and D; it's watered down. Do they want to? Is, is it because they want to bring back the prestige classes? Is that's why? Because that's um, the only reason. It's because they don't, I think they want like crazy amounts of modifier math because advantage and disadvantage was the best when that came about was the best day of my life being a DM. Dude, comparing advantage and disadvantage to fucking Thacko, I'm like, just <laughs> like, just it's let me roll the extra oh, dice. I'm going to put this out there. You want prestige classes? Uh, there are like other source books out there. Like, uh, was it Scardlands has prestige classes? It's fifth ed. It is. It is another people who have the license for it. I think Onyx Path 
And there's prestige classes in there. So if you Cobalt, really want them. Cobalt Press has some. Pres- the problem is, is that 3.5 was like the ridiculous era where <laughs> everything was there. Like everything. Everything like, was there and also multiples of the same thing. Right. Yeah. The redundancy was, was a bit stupid. My favorite prestige class is still the Assassin for the Rogue. That was fucking they're, fantastic. They are so good in 5th Ed assassins so much right. damage but that's what i'm saying like there's like the people i think just want the prestige classes but if you know how to play and you know how to game the system you know how to break the game the way it is right now <laughs> I mean, that's what always, like that's what pissed me off as a gamer i get it everyone has their way of playing but I, it is it, it, some people just have this weird fascination with you know you know twisting the arm of these different uh different formulas until they start screaming and i don't understand it there's like if you're if you're playing with a group of people unless they're all like-minded yeah let's break this and see how you know let's see how far we can run screaming with this you know burning severed arm i don't you you there's no way in hell that everyone has that same thought process unless you're playing with a bunch of power gamers and at that point why are you even playing together? Play a damn video game at that point. There's RPGs out there for that. Like there are. There's enough RPGs to go my, around. My oh, rule was always my rule was always if you have access to it, I have access to it. Yep. Perfectly fine. And also but, it's like sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. If there's any and this actually goes back to player conflict. If you want to play a game that has player conflict, there's RPGs out there. You want to get that out of their system real fast? Run a game of Paranoia. What was the other one? What was the other game uh, where... Oh, fuck. It's a quick little game. Am I thinking... <laughs> am I actually thinking Pandemic? I don't know no. what you're thinking at this point. Pandemic's there's, a board game. There's one... Yeah, there, there's a board game that is like... It generates characters for you, and it's for like quick one shots. And I can't remember the name of this game. Is it a Ken? Is it a Kenzer code game? I don't. Are you talking uh, Gloomhaven? Because that's a huge campaign. No, 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 not Gloomhaven. There's a one where fuck. Why can't I remember the name of this fucking game? It, it, it basically you generated a character. You had like a bunch of like tables you rolled on. And then you played through this game, but it was designed to be like a one night, one shot type game. HeroQuest? Is it HeroQuest? No, it's He's actually looking. like. It, um, is it? I mean, we might be thinking Paranoia. It well, absolutely par- probably is Paranoia. Uh, paranoia, you can. You can play as a campaign, but oh my, are you asking for trouble? Yeah, but it's not like the traditional we roll to create our characters. It's like you... uh, Maybe not. Hold on. (sighs) There's so many board games out there now, it's hard for me to even... Yeah. Yeah. Is it Fiasco? Oh, 
Yes, Fiasco, where you want to, if you want to play like a, uh, what you call it, a Coen Brothers movie. Yes. Yeah, I've kind of wanted to run that. It, uh, They just came out with a new edition with like cards and stuff, which is really kind of neat. Like, it's definitely a board. It originally was an RPG where all you had was like a book and some dice and scenarios. Yeah, see, that's it. It's Fiasco. Yeah, Fiasco is because they basically, you go and you kind of generate your character, and then you generate the plot points, and then you act them out for the most part, and then, like, you generate the break and the twist for, like, what goes wrong, and then, like, you kind of do the ending, which, that is a one-night thing. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Uh, that Bully Pulpit? Probably. Yeah, brilliant idea. But, like, I mean, that that just goes and shows you the wide range of, like, what is still left untapped with RPGs. Because Fiasco is basically a series of charts and a handful of six-siders. Yeah, and it'd be cool, like, (laughs) because it's funny, because when you go to events, they pre-generate your characters sometimes. So you can just literally grab a character off the pile and add your character for that event. So... I would love to see a fifth edition way of, Hey, roll your character. Like just, just quick roll your character type thing. And you get to choose like a couple things, but then the rest is all generated for you. Um, you want a nutty time? Like, uh, try like D and D beyond has a character generator. Um, and you can go and change like level and this and that and the other, but like, you can go and uh, roll up characters that make absolutely no sense. And that's off the website, right? Oh, yeah. Um, like, uh, I think my cousin and I, we were we were just doing this for, like, giggles. And, like, because uh, we had the Unearthed Arcana on. So, like, almost every character gave psychic powers for no reason. The stats were all over the place. Like, you know, you'd have, you'd have a bar. Was it? No, you'd have a, uh, like... Uh, was it a sorcerer with 18 strength and like, you know, nine charisma? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. And like would would have taken two levels in fighter for no reason, like are they, eight, 18 levels in. Are they really releasing Icewind Dale? Yeah, um, it, it, that is coming out uh, in a couple days. It is a 12-level adventure. It's supposed to actually be a horror campaign. And it will be set in Icewind Dale. Jesus. Nice. Is that the, is that the latest one after Theros. Um, Eberron? Um, well, no. Ther- uh, Theros came out uh, more, more recently. Oh, and they're still trying to use the magic stuff? They're doing a pretty good job guild guide to ravnica was a stunning book it was i heard that one as like as like a standalone campaign is actually really good you ever want to go and take out like i i had some fun running stuff in there especially if there are not people in if there are people in your party who've never played magic and it's like hey guys there's a circus going on tonight with the rakdos people are putting on this sounds like a fun time and then they're like why are why is there no way out of the tent? <laughs> why is that puppet mocking me? 
Wait, how does D&D be? Do you have to pay for this? Uh, for D&D Beyond, you have to, uh, the base, like the base rules are, are free. Uh, you could also store some characters on there for free, but like you have to, you have to buy the PDFs and there's a price point for buying them and integrating them into Beyond. And then there's a price point for just buying them so you can read them. I mean, if you really want to use the thing, you might as well go in. They also have their own uh, special roller for Discord that integrates everything. Like when social distancing hit, like wizards hit that hit hard. Well, I'm glad for that. I mean, if I, if only we. Uh, honestly, I don't know why I'm saying this. I'm literally part of three different discords that are running D and D games of of late. Unfortunately, they're younger generations, and. I don't. I know my audience when it comes to that kind of stuff, and I generally don't uh, overextend if I can help it. I'm down to run almost anything. It's just figuring out an appropriate time. You know me. I I have no idea how to use this website, and this is fucking blowing my mind right now. I I'm sorry to have thrown this grenade at you, but like, take some time. It's they also have a phone app in case you want to have your character with you at all times. Oh, so you can create a character. Bill, why is it every time we go in and introduce him to something new, it, 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 we can feel the explosion of his mind from here? Oh, no, um, I'm just I'm just so used to the fucking um, like books and shit that like and I knew Dean, I knew about the app because the app, you can buy the rule. You can buy the books on the app, which I kind of prefer yep. digital. But at the same time, if I'm going to run a campaign, I'd like to have the physical book that I can give somebody to be like, here, look at it. Um, what's also nice is that like, if there are things that you know that are in the books that you want, uh, you can piecemeal buy those in case you don't want to buy the whole book. But like, let's say like you want the, um, the specific uh, races from, I don't know, Ravnica or Eberron or something. You can just buy those and it will then incorporate that into your D&D Beyond account, and now you can go and make characters using those rules. It's pretty sweet. Are you serious? You can buy digital dice? Oh my god. Yeah. Um, hey, you want to hear something even crazier? Or should I, like, pace myself? No, go ahead. So remember when I introduced you to Savage Worlds? Yeah, I have the source book for that, actually. Yeah, there's a new. they have a new edition, and it's even better. Oh my god, why are you telling me this? <laughs> I, don't, I uh, like the original one. Is it better? Yeah, it's better. They, clean, they cleaned up a lot of the rules. Uh, you start off with a skill set. Uh, that is a skill set everyone should have. So now when you play a character, you aren't like wildly incompetent in things like you should have, have had. Like before in Savage Worlds, you had to you had to buy notice and athletics and common knowledge and all this stuff if you wanted your character to be a competent human being adventurer. In the new edition, which is adventurer edition, you get you get a die in each of those. And they start you off with that. You also go and buy your other stuff. Um, they eliminated charisma because they realized I don't think anyone was using that. Um, 
A lot nice. of the stuff is still the same. I mean, it's still a really inexpensive system. And you can still know. do I'm whatever with it. $150 book. I don't know why. It's probably the box set with all the trimmings. Oh. Uh, is that the Savage yeah. Rift stuff you were telling me about, Phil? Yeah, Savage Rifts. I was so happy to see that they're actually, uh, Adventure Editions actually going and making more stuff for it. Like, they're doing some of the, um, they're actually going to have a book with the Dragon Juicer in it. Christ. Like, I don't need to go and figure out rules to make stuff like that. They're actually, uh, they're going to do, like, a book for, um, the Federation of Magic. And they're, I mean, they're, so, they're actually expanding it. This is, this is what you get in the $150 box. You get the World Builder and Game Master Guide. Mm -hmm. You get the Trifold Landscape uh, GM screen and mini settings. You get the adventure deck, the power cards, status cards, oversized action deck, dice set plus four custom wild dice, 25 bennies. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, they're basically like poker chips. Okay. Uh, trans transparent cone and blast templates, uh, combat and chase maneuver, quick reference chart, status tokens, power and ammo tracker dials, set of five. Red in the Rain poster and bookmarks, and all the PDFs are included. Yeah, or you that, is just, a, that is chunky. Or you could just buy the PDF for nine ninety nine. Yeah, it's that's really like all you need. It seems like you're paying one hundred and fifty for fucking everything. You're it's, paying yeah. for a, a a a campaign in a box is what you're paying for. Uh, it's what you would have got had you kickstarted it. Gotcha. So the hardback, the hardback and the PDF is forty bucks, and then the PDF is just ten dollars. Wow, that's not bad. No, they 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 put a lot of introductory stuff. Uh, they're also doing the most recent edition of uh, their main game, um, Deadlands, and it's good. I was about to say, and I'm like, have they updated Deadlands yet? <laughs> Uh, they've updated Deadlands. They've added a lot of new stuff. They've also changed the timeline somewhat so that like things are actually not caught in a weird sort of Civil War nonsense that never ends. Um, yeah, all all around, like they've done some good improvements and they're actually doing their far future one. So they're, they're the Adventure Edition. It's not an edition that they just updated for, hey, what the heck, it's about time we released a new core. Like, when they updated this, they're like, these are some honest changes that either people were house-ruling their way through, or, like, just needed clarification, or, like, should have been rules. Yeah, I like Savage Rules because you can basically create everything, but the problem is, is you needed the books from different games to add certain things. Like, not everything was in the main book. Everything like, like it's like other rules that you could you could do with or without, honestly. Well, I think like the weapons thing. So like if you wanted to have guns in like your fantasy setting, you still had to purchase Deadlands for the guns and the rules on guns. No, those are in the core, like the de the straight up rules on guns and you can extrapolate from there. Uh, hold on. What am I looking at? Because I wanted to go over what I thought was one of the best changes is uh, part of character creation. Yeah, I, I like the Deadlands settings, but then 5th edition came and 
I'm all about the fifth edition. Fifth edition's also really good. Yeah, like now you get five skills that you get you just get. Athletics, common knowledge, notice, persuasion, and stealth. So they only start at a D4, but you actually get those. Whereas before you'd have to go and like end up buying those skills to basically be a even moderately competent adventurer. Now they're just like, here, you start with these and you can buy other stuff. Yeah, people were like, this is what everybody's getting, so just take it. Yeah, basically. And they got rid of charisma because it just plain wasn't it just wasn't working. Like nobody was using it. I mean, I can't really remember how that even worked, honestly. It came up so few times. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I just don't know. Alright. So um I think we lost Drew for a second. Hold on. There he is. Sorry about that. (laughs) Nah, that's cool. You're the only one that's happening to right now. Yeah, every time I don't hear a response back, I immediately jump in. This this has been happening pretty consistently. It's kind of driving me crazy. Well, I went through like five updates before we started tonight, so... (laughs) I'm doing it on I'm doing it on uh, mobile. I I've, I've never had this problem up until I started using mo- uh, Discord on mobile as much as I have been. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um well, anyway, I was Drew, do you have anything else you want to add that since you got cut off and had to get kicked out and put back in? Um yeah, Phil was talking about the whole charisma thing and it reminded me of the whole uh uh, Ninja Crusade when they had the uh, chi imbalance chart that no one ever flipping used. Yep. It's like I get what they were trying to go for, but I don't know. People just I, I maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe it's just me showing my age, but I feel like um like the the attention span just isn't there anymore for a lot of the more complex RPGs. And the 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 dude that I was talking to about uh, the changes to you know racial traits and all that kind of stuff. He's definitely from that older Gygaxian group, so it, I think he's hitting that point where he's just like, I'm afraid of this level of change. I mean, I'm not going any further into this, and it's just like I'm trying to explain to him, look, nobody's stopping you from using these things as they are. What they're doing is they're taking them out of the base source material so that the people who don't want to see it when they're trying to run their games don't have to see it. And to be perfectly honest. Compare it to a lot of different RPGs that I've played where racial things are interchangeable traits that you just attach to your character. Dude, the um uh the Pathfinder uh RPG second ed when it was going out and they had the uh the uh racial handbook for it, they basically broke that down into little interchangeable abilities that you could give your characters to, you know, change where they where they're from. Like you could have a a human being with you can give them night vision or low light vision because of where they you know what whatever mountainous region that they're from or whatever the case may be. In a lot of cases, it's it's been micromanaged and and, and uh, Lego blocked to the point where anybody can be anything at this point. That you know, even with uh, Pathfinder as a whole, most classes when it comes to like the half classes like half or or uh, the races the half orc the half elf 
they still have interchangeable ability bonuses and they don't even have uh, the uh, the negatives on them it isn't until you get to the pure the, the pure uh strains that you actually have those negative traits and it's completely pointless because you can scale down a lot of those weird silly you know minus to intelligence wisdom etc and just turn them into a set of criteria and met advantages and disadvantages that you could attach to that particular um heritage or um uh ancestry with very little difficulty so basically you can play whatever you want to play and no one can tell you otherwise <laughs> i mean isn't that the, the dm could always tell you otherwise yeah i mean and yeah for me I look at it in a very practical, practical viewpoint. I don't care so much about the, you know, the black card situations with, you know, somebody feels uncomfortable. I get it. I understand that part. It's more of a practicality standpoint, especially from a bookkeeping uh, facet for a lot of DMs, where it's just like, I want characters who are going to be varied, who are going to, and the players are going to be happy with what they've put on their character sheet and what they've developed their character into. I don't care nearly as much about racial enmity and a bunch of stuff unless the players are interested in that kind of stuff. If they watch Tol if they read the Tolkien books and they're like, you know, we want a, you know, we want, you know, War of the Roses but with elves and dwarves, I'm going to be like, okay, that's what we're running then. I'll, you know, it's, at the very least as a backdrop to everything else. I don't see why there has to be this big hullabaloo for them to just be like, well, we're just not going to include it in the source material. If anybody, if there's anybody out there with an OGL who publishes that kind of shit, they can make source books that do that kind of thing with very little difficulty. Wizards isn't going to stop them because they're not making money off of it. I mean, I could go and tomorrow start writing up a campaign that is basically Dark Sun, but with like the serial numbers filed off. Essentially, there's nothing stopping you from doing that kind of stuff. And I think that's what really needs to be pressed to both sides of this argument. What is stopping you as a player, as a DM, as somebody who's looking into this and researching it from making your own changes? Nothing is set in stone here. There shouldn't be a point when you sit down to a game and go, well, it says it in the book, so we have to do that. The whole rules lawyer trope thing, yes, there are people who do that, but it tends to be more mechanic-based. When it comes to a lot of the racial enmity and, you know, this person hates this person because of, the, of alignment issues, if, if there are people who are that hung up on it, you, you can work around them or you can just tell them that they don't have to participate. I'm not, Honestly, I, 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 I would just tell them to cut their shit. Yeah. Fair. Well, you can be as heavy-handed as you want, but it, for me, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop the world because something's not written the same way that you read it. People who go and cover to cover on these books and then expect everything to play out the way the book says it is, it's like okay, so you're completely. You want me as a DM to eliminate my free will and my agency and how I'm going to run this game and how people want me to run this game because you believe in some weird idyllic by the numbers scenario no everything here is a suggestion and i use this stuff as a hard and fast rule and i don't feel like going out of my way to make make a narrative choice 
with something, but when it comes to mechanics and it comes to all the other shit, I understand that. Fine. When it comes to storyline and narrative, I'm going to be as mercurial as I want to be. And nobody is going to tell me how I'm going to run something unless it's a consensus and it's a discussion and not being and not a demand. The moment someone tells me that I'm doing something that for them, I stop wanting to do something for them. When they ask me, then it's a completely different scenario. We have a discussion, we come to a consensus, everyone's happy, we move on. People have this weird thing that they think that DMs have this hard-on for fucking with people and making people unhappy. That's not the case. Well, not for most of them. I mean, the, 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 not the for few, all of them. The, Look, the if few... I'm running a campaign, I want it to go as long as I possibly can and have everybody enjoy it. My goal is not to kill the party and stop doing it. If I wanted to stop doing it, I would just stop running the event. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's I, really the bigger bigger headache for people, and I think Phil would agree with me. Oh yeah. Why in the hell would you even be? Why would you be here in the first place? Why are we even here if this is what the, if if the people are dying on these pointless hills about how you know a, a narrative is supposed to be run and how you know the story cues are and you know if you really want something that's that paint by numbers, then go watch a fucking fantasy movie that has those tropes in place that you know is going to end the way that you you want it to run. If you want Play Final Fantasy VIII, yeah. Jesus, any of the Final Fantasies before at, at that point, Jason, they all the tropes all play the same way. The only difference is that the characters that are attached to it and the amount of uh, hot topic that they've that the characters have been thrown through. Yeah, I mean it, the truth of it is, and I think this is a, a thing that people have to realize: not every person who runs a game is creating their own world and doing stuff. And at some point, like as a DM, you have to give your pers- yourself permission to basically do what you want to do, to follow the rules enough that people can follow that can play the game and not be like constantly confused by the ever shifting things, but to change the environment enough. Like for for example, like some people said, are oh, you know, you'll see some encounters nowadays that people know uh, the monsters so well that you're like, okay, that they used up their, their third, like, legendary ability. They don't have any more or something, so now we know they can do this. Or I've they've taken just as much damage, so they only have this much more. As a DM, you could go and say, uh, nah, nah, this is a particularly beefy dragon. Sorry. There should always obviously be boundaries when it comes to making these kind of, making those kind of narrative choices. It's like, if the book says it's it's this way, stat-wise, unless you've gone and made the adjustments on the front end, it's kind of stupid to go and be like, I'm going to intentionally hobble this creature so that I don't TPK, um, you, you know, the group. Again, you shouldn't, there should be a point when you allow your players to succeed or fail. If they're going to fall into the bear trap because of their own decisions, why you rob them of the learning experience of doing something to that effect and it get, prevents from getting the problem solving abilities to be able to not one do it again and two to grow as a player if you don't want development in your in your characters as well as your players then just play a fucking module and let everything roll out the way the module says it is and then just be done with it i think that's one of the major hang-ups now with a lot of these uh, uh twitch groups that are out doing D and they do it over stream, it's just like they, there's this expectation that things are just supposed to happen the way they happen. What in the world is wrong with things not happening the way they're supposed to? 
a game is amazing when you have character development and flaws coming out and enmities coming out. It's like, what, do you not want these characters to grow? Or do you just want them to be cardboard cutouts that you go smack a few things, play murder hobos, and then forget about them? There's no there's no marriage to the thing that you're creating. If I roll a character in any game, why in the why in God's name would I just roll some generic schlub who I'm gonna forget about in, in two game sessions and go and do something else? What was the point of me even wasting my time doing that? Unless I'm playing a one shot and I'm playing a pre pre generated character, I don't want something that's going to be a cut and paste robot character that just does something that it does i and it's up to me as a player to ensure that there is that level of dimension to the character i'm playing and even to a dm there is a you have a duty to create a world that has dimension and depths and you know cause and effect and risk and reward if the players don't want to interact with it that's up to them but they do need to understand, and and I think that's one of the major hangups that most of these people have, is there ne there needs to be if and I feel like having to say this to your players on the front end is absolutely baffling unless you're dealing with a younger group of kids, that you need to tell them your actions have consequences in these games. You do something, you're going to have problems along the way. Even if it's a good thing that you've done, you might cheese off somebody who didn't want you to do that good thing. So without that level of um, dimension, you 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 rob you rob the not only the players but yourself of an opportunity for things to get out of hand in a very fun way. Yeah, I think we lost. So, it. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was weird. Mine finally dipped out completely. Okay, it's not just me anymore, and that makes me feel better. Yeah. Well... <laughs> It is getting a bit late. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Um, no, to summarize everything that Drew basically said was, I mean, yeah. Well, I, I heard, that... I missed like a second or two. Yeah, you're, I mean, well, just summarizing for the, to end this, to end the whole thing, in fact, was basically, you know, you're going to have the one problem person. I mean, that's going to happen. You need to sit down and talk with them. You need to... I mean, you just kind of have to, to tell people like, hey, like you, whatever you do is going to affect you. Yeah. Which so. is weird because you'd think life have had have taught them that by now, but not always the you, case. You think so, man, but it, it more often than not, it doesn't happen the way you think it does with that. Oh, yeah. I've it's... run enough games to realize that. But in but this gives you an amp. This gives you a teaching opportunity as well as a DM, because you can actually go and create relatively safe scenarios for these people who have never experienced a specific a specific uh, like social interaction or a situation of hostility, and give them a very danger room, but uh, a safe danger room experience where they can go and play this kind of stuff out. And understand where that's where how that all how that all functions, you know, parallel to the real world. That's where a lot of people I think don't really understand, especially when you're dealing with kids who are developing minds. If you're doing this and you're running a game for people who are younger, you know, 12, 13, 14, where the where the game starts being um, uh, 
where the game starts at its uh, age bracket, it's a perfect opportunity to be able to teach these kids a lot of conflict resolution and a bunch of stuff like that. As long as they're obviously willing, if they want to go in and just bash stuff, I mean, that's a separate headache. <laughs> yeah. Again, that goes to, to kind of like back to my point where you have to know who you're DMing. Oh yeah. For. Read the room. And talk to the room. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't run my games in sign language, so I guess that's a problem. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? The, when you, I, know, when, I, know, I, was, I was I was making a joke to <laughs> Phil. Jeez. All right, so uh, I guess we're going to end that here. We'll probably call this episode either Read the Room or, I don't know, something. I'll <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, but yeah, so uh, to end it, uh, if you got any Twitter, Instagram, anything you want to plug, people to find you, if you don't want people to find you, that's cool too, because whatever, I'm posting the podcast online. So, um, you can find me on Twitter at Obi-Wan Fat Kid and uh, on Instagram.com slash Angry Wargamer if you want to see my painting stuff. He does good painting. You should watch it. Uh, see, I have a Twitter, but I occasionally put up art on it. Not terribly a lot, but uh, it's at uh, last underscore hexile. And, uh, I don't know if you have any weird RPG questions. I have more of that knowledge than I have any good reason for. And during the time we're in right now, you might actually be a wise man. I would look at that as a positive, sir. The old sideburns are getting some white in them, I'll tell you that. It is what it is. Um, my uh, my Twitter handle is uh, at uh, is uh, Punk Toast. Um, my Instagram is also Punk Toast. I've streamlined everything because a lot of people not the know. underscore though. On Instagram, it's Punk Toast with no underscore. <laughs> Correct. If you find a clone of me that only has tw- uh, what was it nine pictures versus the mine which i think i have like 12 or 13 clearly yeah, that's a clone um but yeah punk toast no underscore obviously uh, i've streamlined everything across the board because there's a lot of people who know me by that moniker across several platforms and it's just easier to be uh able to to uh respond to different people who know me from that perspective so yeah that's all i got all right thanks for listening and we'll get back to you guys in the future